Let's pray. Dearly Father, we pray that you would help us this evening. We don't have the ability to understand your word without you. And it is a grace of God to be even able to meet together in this way, to sing these songs, to be reminded of such truth. Lord, as was sung tonight, help us to trust you. even when we cannot see. I pray for all of those in this room tonight. There's so many things, I am certain, that fill their minds right now. Please remove those distractions. Help us to gaze at your word and be refreshed as we look at Jesus. Give me clarity of thought, Lord. Keep my lips from error. We need you, so please be with us now. We pray. Amen. This might seem like a silly question, but... Do you ever long for the new heavens and new earth? And I don't mean just... Think about it as if it's, that's a really nice thing coming, uh, you know, something that's pretty nice that we can look forward to, but instead long for that. Like you want it today if you could have it today. You look around at at the world and you see, sure, there's some good things, but you see a lot of sickness, you see a lot of disease, you see a lot of destruction, devastation, decay, death, and you look at the world and it's dark, it's frustrating, it's exhausting, and it's painful, and the consequences of sin Uh, on this world can be clearly seen, right? You don't even have to look for it. It's not hiding. It's in every part of our lives. But these things often cause us to long for the day where all will be made new. And perhaps you've come tonight and you have experienced loss in some way or are currently experiencing it in some way Maybe you are suffering so deeply because of whatever circumstance you're going through that it's hard to even speak about it. Maybe some of you deal with daily grief because of various things, whether it's broken family, uh, wayward children, other tragedies in life. Maybe you personally are sick or afflicted in some way. Or maybe you have a loved one who is suffering constantly and it's unbearable to watch. You know, this past week, just another reminder of the, the fact that this world is, is not as good as it gets. My son, as you know, Grayson, born with significant heart condition, has had multiple open heart surgeries where his left ventricle never grew, doesn't have one currently. He's reconstructed his heart. He had another more, more procedures and complications last week, and it, it hits like a ton of bricks. You know, when you, when you see someone suffer, when you see your child suffer, we were in the hospital for four more days last week, had another heart catheterization where they repaired more stuff because it always seems like it's one thing after another, after another, after another. And I wish I had a more holy way to say it, but it stinks. It just stinks. 
It's painful. And watching, watching him suffer is unbearable at times, and your heart becomes so filled with worries. And I get frustrated seeing the suffering in this world. It's not just my son. I just mean around us. The suffering in this world makes me long for a day when we won't have this anymore. But while I'm still here, because I am still here, and I haven't tasted that day yet, you know what does my heart good? It's considering Jesus. But not just Jesus as in, uh, you know, just broad, uh, broad brush stroke, but Jesus as the ultimate healer. That's what does my heart good when I am filled with sorrow as I look around and there are things in this world that cannot be healed by man, right? But it does me well to remember that Jesus is our ultimate healer. And tonight, we will be reading from John 4 as we zoom in on Jesus the healer. So turn there and I will tell you what to expect from tonight. John 4 going to read an account of Jesus. My heart is often drawn to these accounts. Because I need to be reminded that Jesus is the ultimate healer. And tonight you are going to see a physical healing take place in this text. And sometimes... We get so enamored by the physical healings in the Bible that we miss the greater healing. Sometimes in our requests and our prayers before God, we so seek a physical healing that we miss what we should be praying for is a greater healing. So tonight you will see a physical healing, but more than that, you will see a spiritual healing, one that this person and his family didn't even know they needed. And then thirdly, it is my hope that we will all be given a hope for one day where we will experience a final and complete healing, where physical healing will meet spiritual healing and we will be with God forever. This is on the docket for tonight. So I hope you're excited, because I am. John 4, verse 46 through 54. I'll read the text first. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee. This is Jesus. He came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed in his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Tonight we're going to walk through a progression of how this father in this story sees Jesus. And the points on your little notes or on the screen behind us will reflect that. We will see how this man started to view Jesus, how he started in the beginning, how he viewed Jesus at first, and how that completely changes as the story goes on. And our first point tonight is 
Jesus seen as the only hope for his son. Jesus seen as the only hope for his son. This would be in a physical sense. I want to read verse 46 again. It says, Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. This royal official was probably a steward of Herod. But we are very quickly introduced uh, to his problem, to his dilemma, to his plight. And that is that his son was sick. Now notice where his son is and where he's from is Capernaum. And notice where Jesus is, is in Cana. Now this is about 15 miles away at least. Which, you know, in our day and age, 15 miles... We can get in our car, no problem. We get 15 miles in no time. But in this day and age, that would not have been an easy journey, would it? This would have at least taken almost a whole day. And of course, there are dangers in doing that. But this royal official has a son who is sick. But he's heard someone has come to Cana. He's heard of this Jesus. He's heard of this one that can heal. And when he heard that Jesus was going to be in Cana, he left immediately. And I don't want us to gloss over, just because this all happens so quickly in these verses, I don't want us to miss what's going on here. His son is sick. In verse 47 it says, he was at the point of death. Now, think about that for a second. Imagine you're in his position. Your son is going to die. Whatever doctors they had could not treat what the son had. Whatever medications they had was not working. It wouldn't work. He could see the writing on the wall. His son was going to die. It was clear as day. He was right at that point of death. I want you to picture yourself as a parent in that moment. What do you think you'd be doing? I can tell you what I'd be doing. Staying right there with him. Right? That would be a pretty reasonable response. If this is my, if this is my son's last moments, I want to be there with him. But something prompted him to leave. Now, I can very much resonate with this, mainly because, uh, you know, the, the son is sick. My son has a heart disease. And I've seen my son at four days old after his first open heart surgery where they, they told us to expect it. They told the parents, they, they told us to stay away after the open heart surgery, stay away, go try to get some sleep somewhere, don't come near, because there's going to be this point in the night where he's going to have what is called a post-pump slump. Which means, after they take him off of the bypass machine, because he's so little, there's going to be a point in the night when he's reconstructed, his heart's reconstructed, where his heart is going to want to give out. And we're going to have to manage that. You're not going to want to be there for this. And I remember we listened, not fully, because I ended up showing up at 4 a.m. later just to check on him. And it just so happened that while I'm there, guess what started to happen? The post-pump slump. And the numbers on the screen are going. Things, you know, the nurses are great. They're, They're not panicked, but they're moving urgently. They're not talking to you anymore. They just know what's going on. They have to balance this with medication to get him through and just hope that heart can hang on. And I remember thinking, I'm not going anywhere. There's, where am I going to go? I'm going to be, if this, is, if this is it, I'm not leaving, right? You can imagine yourself being in the same scenario. In this case, your son is going to die. What possible reason could there be to leave? But there was one reason to leave, and it's because he knew there's only one chance There is only one thing I can do for my son that he needs even more than me being here for him in this moment, and that's to go see Jesus. That's the only thing that would draw him away. And notice, this man probably 
had some sort of wealth or at least some sort of uh, messenger that he could send. In fact, later in the story it says he had servants. He doesn't send his servants to leave. He could have said, hey, servants, go find Jesus, bring him back, he's my hope. This man knows my best shot at getting Jesus to come is if I go personally. And I'm going with haste. And it tells us, of course, it's, it doesn't explicitly tell us, but he arrives and finds Jesus. But I want you to picture that journey. 15 miles on dangerous road with no tennis shoes, by the way, sandals that could barely hang on. If he's running, the shoes are probably not going to hang on very well. He's, he's probably going through that, that dilemma in your mind. If you were a parent, imagine, you've got to get to see Jesus. Do you stop and take breaks? Your son's dying. Do you stop and eat? Do you stop and rest? Do you stop? No. You're going. You're going and going and going. And this is a full day's journey. He knows his last chance for his son is to bring Jesus back because medicine wasn't working. He had heard what Jesus can do and he wants his son to live. And he arrives and notice... Providentially, of course, he finds Jesus. And let's read verse 47 again. It says, When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him. That word imploring really means an ongoing, repetitive, begging, no regards for what it seemed like he was like. No, he didn't care if he was embarrassed by this. He is begging Jesus to come down and heal his son. This is understandable, of course. He had found him. The part, part A of the mission was accomplished. Find Jesus. Now I've got to convince him to come. And this is where we see, uh, we, we see how he views Jesus. It is noble that he views Jesus as capable of healing his son, at least from what he's heard. But what we're about to see is he sees Jesus. This is our second point tonight. Jesus is seen as powerful but limited. He's seen as powerful but limited. And you say, what do you mean? It doesn't say that. Well, look. It says he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. What that means, at least in some way, is he thought... Only if Jesus was there with his son could his son be healed. Right? He, his mission is get Jesus, bring him to the son, and maybe then, just maybe, Jesus might be able to heal him. He sees Jesus as powerful but limited in some way. And also, notice... He's trying to convince Jesus to come because his son's at the point of death. He assumes that Jesus has to arrive prior to death. You see what I mean? Which, again, this is not unreasonable. I would do the same thing, right? This, is, this makes sense why they would assume such a thing, why he would assume such a thing. But he views Jesus as powerful but limited. Sir, come down. Is what he's asking. And in verse 48, we find something very interesting. So he's begging Jesus. He's imploring him to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, verse 48 says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Now, he's not just addressing this man. Jesus had crowds with him wherever he went, at least most of the time. It says, you people, that you, it says, unless you, you people is plural. He's addressing the crowd as well as this man. So it's not like he's just singling out this man, but he's saying, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply won't believe. And Jesus had been going around and had seen time and time again where people say, Jesus, if you could just do this for me, then I'll believe. If you show me something, I'll believe. And his word was not enough for them. Now, imagine you had just heard that from Jesus, the man whom you went to go see, who's the only hope for your son. I would imagine he was probably pretty pricked to the heart. Thinking, maybe he knew in his heart his motives were just selfish. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to want your son to live, but 
He came to Jesus so that his son could live. That was the equation, right? I'm going to see Jesus, not because Jesus is the son of God, not because Jesus is this, not because Jesus is that, but because he can heal my son. Maybe he's pricked in his heart. When he hears this, maybe he thinks, you're right. I, maybe I am one of those that needs to see a sign to believe. Maybe my motives are impure. And some might have just said, you know what? You're right. Forget I even asked. I should have come. But we see something. And I, and I picture a tone change here. I don't know if you do, but I do. It goes from imploring him, this begging, please heal him. And after Jesus says this, just says, the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Instead of shying away, instead of running away in embarrassment, instead of saying, I came with the wrong motives, so he won't listen to me, he asks one more time. Please come down with me, sir. Come down before my child dies. Maybe even when he uttered those words, he's probably doubting in his head. I blew it. I blew my chance. He called me out. I blew it. But I got to at least ask once more. He's surely not going to answer because I know I blew it. But will he heal? I'm going to ask. And something amazing happens. And I want you to picture this in real time if you can. Jesus said to him, go. If you are a parent who's making that request, you're probably wondering, go what? If you heard go, you would think maybe his first reaction was, go away. Right? Maybe, I don't know, but go. Your son lives. I almost picture, really? Uh, that like, e even if I came with the wrong motives, you're going to heal my son? But notice, Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. He is testing this man to see what he thinks about Jesus. He's not going to come with him. Right? He says, you go away. Your son lives now. So this is the pivotal moment in this story. This is the point where we could see this father continue to think that Jesus is powerful, but limited in some way, or he can trust Jesus and his word, and go. Now remember, if your mission was get Jesus, bring him back, and you're coming back without Jesus, you might be a little nervous unless you trusted what he said. But in this moment, we see Jesus, this is the third point, Jesus is seen as having unlimited power. It is in this moment where he decides to believe Jesus. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going and expecting my son to live. Now, this is not necessarily saving faith in this moment, but his, but his view of Jesus has changed, right? Do you see how it's evolved so far? He initially saw Jesus as the means whereby his son can be healed. When he gets there, he's begging Jesus. He sees him as powerful but limited because he's got to bring him back. And now he sees that his power is unlimited. He believes and it says he started off. Now, again, he just got there probably a whole day's journey. And once Jesus said that, he starts home for another day's journey. And again, because I think we are allowed to take some you know, or at least think of what it would have been like on this journey home. If you are this man and you're going home, I don't know how I could describe it other than being excited but battling doubt. Excited but battling doubt. 
right? He said my son lives, but he didn't even come with me. He didn't even do any magic thing. He just spoke and said my son lives. How can that be? If he could do that, he's no ordinary man. But, but we've never seen a man like this. So what if I come home and he's not alive? Perhaps there was a twinge of doubt that lingered, or maybe he was just so excited to get home because he fully believed. We're not sure, but in any case, what he sees is, in verse 51, as he was going down, his slaves met him. And the best way I can describe this moment would be, is if he was nervous, he's about to find out if his son lives or not. And the, the best one-to-one kind of example I could think of is if you've ever been into, in surgery before or you're waiting for somebody to come out of surgery, do you know that moment when a surgeon comes out and they sit down and they talk to you and you're just waiting for them to tell you how it went? You know that weightiness, that uncertainty, that just based on what they say, how your emotions are going to be flipped one way or the other? Well, here is this moment. His slaves met him saying his son was living. His son was living. But instead of jumping for joy, at least he doesn't tell us. I'm sure he probably did that. Instead of jumping for joy, instead of running home immediately to see his son, what does he do? It says, so he inquired of them. Which, in other words, it probably would have went like this. Tell me when he got better. I have to know exactly when he got better. You have to tell me. Because I need to know if Jesus healed my son. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And in verse 53 it says, the father knew that it was the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. When Jesus said those words, whatever the son had went away. And here we see his view of Jesus change for the final time. Point number four is this. Jesus seen as the only hope for him. This is interesting. Let's look at the response of what happens after he learned his son lives and that it was Jesus who healed him. Verse 53 says, So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is not the same belief that we've already been told that he believed before. What I mean is, what a, it says, he himself believed in what? This, I believe, is saving faith. He himself believed, and his whole household, he believed that Jesus was no ordinary man. No ordinary man can do this. What man can speak and heal? If he can speak and heal by the word of his mouth, he must have infinite power. And who has infinite power but God? This man is the son of God. This man is the awaited Messiah. This man is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the one who has come to save us from our sins. And notice the great reversal here, right? The man who had come to Jesus to get his son physically healed now was just healed from a disease he didn't even know he had. Do you see that? He went to Jesus for his son's physical healing and he came away, yes, with that, but he came away with the greatest disease mankind has ever faced. Sin, death, defeated by Jesus in that moment. 
He asked for physical healing and he got spiritual healing. And his whole household believed. He had an encounter with the son of God, not just an ordinary man, not just a prophet, not just a healer. He had an encounter with the son of God and none of them in that household would ever be the same. Can you imagine what that was like when the son woke up from whatever he was going through? Maybe he was pale on the verge of death and immediately was healed. And the parents are telling him this story. I can't even imagine the conversations that happened around that house. But it was probably something like this. You're not going to believe what happened. We met the son of God. Jesus was initially viewed as the only hope for physical healing. And he ends up being seen and realized as the only hope for their spiritual condition. This is amazing. Jesus is the ultimate healer. And that's why when we read this, if you read this and like if this was your devotional for the morning, you might walk away and say, Jesus is amazing at healing. Can you see what he did to the son? When I read this, I say, look what he did to the son. Sure, that's nice and all, but look what he did to the father. Look what he did to that household. And then that makes me think, look what he did to me. Now, this story, of course, has a purpose of being being written. Surely this advances the narrative. Jesus is moving one step closer to accomplishing his mission, which is going to the cross. And even though he displayed his power here, there were many who did not believe. And even though those who he showed his power to constantly still rejected him. But this family did not. So on a, on a macro level, on a big level, this, this story serves to advance Jesus moving one step closer to the cross. But on a micro level, on an individual level, think of this. From eternity past, God had so foreordained that Jesus would come into contact with this man and his family to save them. Amazing. A seeming coincidence. A seeming chance encounter has just resulted in this whole household's faith. You know what I think, too, is included in the whole household? The son. The son could have gone away boasting that he was healed from something physically, but I think it was more excited to be healed spiritually. But what about us? What can we learn from this story? And I'm sure you've learned some already, but I figured we, it would, it'd be do, we'd do well to zoom in on some of these things. I want us to consider the Father's actions, both the good and the bad, from this story. In verse 46, we see, verse 46 and 47, we see a desperate father. He's a desperate father because he knows his son has no hope in anyone else. Now, we may not have a physical sickness. Maybe some of us do. But we all share the same sickness that is far worse than anything physically in this life. It is a spiritual disease that kills. We know, of course, it to be rooted in sin. Sin produces death. Sin separates from God. I would say... If you don't know Jesus tonight, you're in a far more desperate way than this son. If you haven't believed, then you too are on your deathbed. I want you to think about that. In the the grand scheme of think of eternity, endless ages, our relatively short amount of time on this earth is like a deathbed. 
If you don't know Jesus, you're hanging on for dear life before the wrath of God, perfect and just, is poured out upon you. And praise God that that is not the majority of us in this room. In fact, though on our deathbed, we have experienced healing. But we must know that if you don't know Jesus, you have offended the creator, the holy one. And there's only one who can heal you. There's no medicine who can. There's nobody who can die for your sins. Man, anyway. No friend, no family member can take your sins. Only Jesus can. And this desperation is commendable in this father because he sees, I've got no hope. You know, Pastor Roy used to say this. You can insert an Arkansas accent. I'm not going to try it. But he used to say, You'll you will never seek the remedy if you first don't know the malady. One of the things I'm reminded of in this story is that we need to see our desperate need for Jesus. Yes, pre-salvation, of course, but also post-salvation. We desperately need Jesus. Run to Jesus. Consider the urgency in which the Father goes. He goes right away. He does not delay. This is something we ought to tell um, tell any lost person we come into interaction with, you need to see your desperate state. And you need to run urgently to Jesus. Do not delay. That is commendable too, certainly. And believer, if you are a believer in this room, there was a moment where you saw your desperate need. And when you saw how deficient you were without Jesus and you saw him in his beauty as the only way to save you, you didn't delay. You ran to Jesus and received a healing that no man can ever give. But I also see from this man an application to us as parents. I want you to consider the care of this father for his son that drove him great lengths to go see Jesus. He was not stopping. He was going to go see Jesus because he cared for his son. And this was in a physical sense. But he dropped everything. He risked his life. Nothing else mattered to him. Who cared? Because he had to get to Jesus. And as a parent who has seen my son suffer in many ways, I can tell you there's not many things that I wouldn't do for my son to be healed physically. I would love it. That would be wonderful. I am, I am desperate for that. But you know what I'm more desperate for? Is for him to know Jesus. I'm so much more desperate than that. Because if my son lives five years of life but knows Jesus, we win. That is awesome. And it is so much better than living 90 years without knowing Jesus. I said we win in excitement, but I didn't do nothing. It wouldn't be me anyway, right? You as a parent know that. You can't save your kids. That frustrates us at times. Because it's the one thing we'd really like to give them. But what can you do? How can we have that desperate urgency to show our children Jesus? Because he is the ultimate healer. Well, here's a few ways. Point them to Jesus in every interaction you can. Point them to Jesus in your home and the way that you treat your spouse. Point them to Jesus in the way that you speak to them. Point them to Jesus in the way you discipline them. Point them to Jesus in the way you instruct them. Point them to Jesus by setting aside time to be in the word. Point them to Jesus by bringing them to church and prioritizing the gathering of God's people. Point them to Jesus by praying with them. Point them to Jesus by praying for them. 
Because you see, this man was so desperate for his son to be physically healed because he was about to die. Do you see that your child is on the deathbed of eternity? This is a desperate endeavor for us as parents. We can't save them, but we should want to do everything we can to show them the healer. Our children have a disease far worse than this son. And so often we're so, we are so desperate to get them prepared for life. We're so desperate to get them prepared for college. We're so desperate to get them prepared to run a business or be good in athletics or be a good worker. We're so worried about if they're in the one percentile or the 99th percentile. We're so worried about if they're great in school or if they struggle. But none of that matters if they know Jesus. So we should show our children Jesus often with desperate urgency filled with hope. Because when we show them Jesus, we know he's the only one who can heal. I can't heal my son or my other son, both my sons. I can't heal either of them spiritually or physically. But if I show them Jesus... That's what matters. My success as a parent is not determined by, uh, you know, having the most morally righteous children. It is, am I faithful to show them the healer? Second application for us would be, uh, well, I guess it's been more than two. But whatever number we're on would be this. Live by faith and not by sight. We can see that clearly in verse 48. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And sometimes we are like this. If we don't see God doing what we want him to do, we doubt. And we don't think he's good anymore. But we would do well to take God at his word. To live by faith and not by sight. Because, for example, if I only believe that God is good, if he physically heals my son, then I am not better than these people that he's rebuking. Because I'm only seeking God for a sign. And I'm not taking him at his word. You see, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith, which if you are a believer, you are a child of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you know what this means? And I have wrestled with this more than you can imagine. You might not have an easy life. You might not experience physical healing. Your relief Whatever pain you're going through, whatever grief you're going through, your relief might not happen in this life. But one day, those who trust Jesus will experience complete healing and relief. Why? Because Jesus said so. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life and never perish. So we don't see that now. In fact, we look upon things and we say, why does it look like Christians suffer more than the world? And what's a Christian to do? Your hope is so certain, believer... Your hope is so certain because Jesus has said it's certain. So when it looks bleak in this life, know that this is just the deathbed of time. It's going to be momentary. And when your reality, the new heavens and new earth, is realized, you won't even remember the tiny afflictions. Next. From this story, we see this, I have no better way to say it other than be in awe of the mercy and grace of Jesus. In this story and in your life, look at this. He's already rebuked him. These are a people that wanted Jesus to just do signs. They didn't want him for who he was. 
And Jesus could have rightly said to this man, I'm not healing your son. You know that, right? He could have said, I'm not going to do it. And would he have been wrong? No. He could have said, because you approached me in this way, I'm not going to do it. But he shows grace and mercy to an undeserving person. Who does that sound like? Us. When you asked God to forgive you of your sins, do you think you came with perfectly pure motives? If our salvation was based on the 100% purity of our motives, no one would ever be saved. But our Savior is so kind to us that he sees your wicked heart and says, I forgive you. You are healed. No matter how unworthy you are or feel you are, run to Jesus because he is gracious and merciful. And though God owes us nothing, he has promised that those who come to him in faith will be saved. Final point of application would be this. Worship the healer. Worship the healer who healed you. Worship the healer who will heal you completely one day. And this physical miracle is amazing. It's it's astounding. We we can't get past that. That should be amazing. It's a work of God for a, a son who's about to die is now made well. Of course. But there's a greater healing in this story. Worship this healer. Because as believers, we know... The weight of that disease. We know the disease of sin and it kills everyone in sight. It always ends in death. You realize that the disease of sin always ends in death. The unique thing is that those in Christ had Jesus take the disease for us. He healed us by taking our disease and dying for us. He's the only one who could provide healing. And we were moments away. Yes, we're alive now. I don't know how how long some of you have been saved. But in the grand scheme of eternity, remember, we were but moments away from experiencing the immense, just wrath of God for eternity. And he intervened when we were on our deathbed and said, you are healed. We didn't deserve it. We didn't even seek it. Just like this man had only sought for physical healing. He didn't even ask to be spiritually healed. In the same way, we don't even ask for that. We don't even know we need it until God opens our eyes. So believer, though you face pain on this earth, be encouraged because your soul is well. And not only that, One day, there will be a grand day, and we've already mentioned it, when when we are given new bodies, where we will be physically healed completely. And our spiritual, of course, being healed spiritually, we will converge, and it will be perfect. It will be spotless. It will be totally healed. There will be no pain anymore because when Jesus comes back and he ushers in the new heavens and new earth, your reward is with him forever. I thought it would be fitting to end with these three verses. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to read these three verses and then we're going to pray. But I want you to picture this. And I want whatever you're going, on, going through in your life right now, whatever suffering that comes to the forefront, when you close your eyes, it appears in your mind. I want you to remember these three verses because one day this is your inheritance, believer. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold. 
the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. That means he'll be among you, believer, and he will do this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to see our desperate need for you. For any in this room that do not know you, help them to see you as gracious and merciful and let them run to you for healing. For the believers in this room that are suffering and seeing the consequences of sin in this world, that are grieving in some way, that are dealing with afflictions that experience no relief, help them to be reminded that there will be a day where all of that is gone. And there won't even be a worry anymore. There won't even be a tear anymore. There won't be pain. There won't be fear. There won't be sorrow. Because we will be so overwhelmed at the sight of Jesus. We need you to remind us of this often, Lord, because we are so prone to live by sight and not by faith. So help us to trust you. Help us to live by faith in our great healer. Pray this in your name. Amen.